Well, afternoon, if you would open your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 5. Can you hear me okay? Good. Chapter 5, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This morning's sermon, I pray, will continue to stay with you and with me. Uh, We need to be aware of our attitude towards God and towards uh, um, living for Him, and that doesn't need to cease with the introduction of another sermon. Uh, So I'm trying to handle a subject that is just good, strong wisdom. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and while you uh, look to find that, if you're still looking, how many of y'all have ever been and seen Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Brother Eric has seen it. Miss Nancy. Miss Julia. Miss Marion. Nope, John, you haven't seen it. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, in person. We're talking about in person. You know, when you see that in pictures, you imagine that that, as far as I, I imagine that that painting is this huge piece of work. Uh, as I understand it, it's far smaller. I mean, it's not very large at all. But where it's displayed, uh, as I understand, it's a pretty interesting way it's displayed. It is, it is uh, displayed in a, on a plain wall in a mostly empty room. Uh, yeah, yeah, mostly empty of other art room. And there's a purpose. There's a reason. Uh, the simplicity of presentation is to help the people who come to see the Mona Lisa to avoid museum fatigue is the term that they use, caused by overstimulation. When there's too much to see, you miss the greatness of what there is to see in the Mona Lisa. Uh, In fact, in 2017, there was a study that confirmed this logic, found that appreciating beauty takes conscious thought, and therefore distracting a person can prevent them from fully taking in the work of art before them. Boy, is that true, especially in our world today. It is easy to be so distracted by all the stuff of this world that we miss the beauty of what is taking place before our very eyes. So I want to talk about our focus, and I think Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 10 through 20, which is our text, really helps us with how our focus is captured, how it's distracted in this world. And Ecclesiastes 5, we're going to start in verse 10, we're not going to read the whole passage yet, we're just going to read the first um, seven or eight verses. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt, 
But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he uh, return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he shall carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath such sorrow and wrath in his sickness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this passage. Lord, I pray you would help us to see it in its simple uh, form, the simple message that is being put forth here. There's a lot of words, um, uh, a lot of concepts that are being presented in these uh, 11 verses. But God, I, I just I want us to see the simplicity of where our focus should be and how easily we are distracted, that we might see the beauty of the life you've given us right now. Thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing I see uh, in, uh, in answering this question, where is your focus, and how we should focus, is don't focus on the gimmies. Uh, yesterday, we went to Academy Sports, uh, Academy Sports and Outdoors, the right stuff and not so right prices as it used to be. Uh, we went because Benjamin is in baseball, and Benjamin... Needs some baseball gear, and if you want later on, I'll show you a picture of Benjamin and his baseball gear. He's pretty proud of it. He's on the baseball team at Rowe Middle School, and it looks like he's going to be a fielder. We went to academy, but we also took two other little boys with us. Now, I am as guilty of having the gimmies as anybody. Unfortunate for me, I have control over my debit card and accounts. My boys don't, so it's harder on them when they have the gimmies. But it's easy for us to get the gimmies, isn't it? We go someplace or we watch TV or we see a commercial or we think we have some need that will make things easier. And we go, man, if I just if I could get this thing, that would kind of solve and make my life easier. That would satisfy me. And we get so distracted by the gimmies. We, we, uh, the distraction he's going to warn us about, it's, it's enticing, but it's, it's just for a season. Think about what he says. It's vain. The pursuit is vanity. That uh, first verse, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor shall he that loveth abundance with increase. He's not going to be satisfied with increase. This is vanity. How many of y'all like things that are vanity, that are vain? Yeah, Yeah, I do too. How many of you are truly satisfied with stuff? Yeah, you know why you're never truly satisfied with stuff? Because you're never going to be able to get enough. And you can't take it with you. When you, when you go to a funeral, I have yet to have seen a, a, a hearse with a U-Haul. It does, you just don't see that because nobody can take any of that. They can be buried with it, but they're not taking it to where they're going. Their stuff could be buried with their moldering bones, but it's not going to go with them. It's vain. It's a waste. And in this context of this passage, it's not saying that money is useless and meaningless. It's not saying uh, that things are, are, are useless and meaningless. It's that dogged pursuit of money and things. It's a waste. 
that stuff vanity, it means it's a waste. It is fleeting. It is flighty. It is unsubstantial. And then in verse 11, he says, what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? Basically what he's saying is, what good is the money to the owners except that they can look at how big their bank account is? There's no good to it. There's no... Uh, it's a life that focuses its its attention on the accumulation of money or stuff is like chasing steam from a kettle. It's a waste. Money's not bad. Stuff is not bad. But focusing on chasing money and stuff is bad. Look at verse 15. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? My goodness, again, you've never seen a funeral with a hearse and a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. It's vain. Not only is it vain, it's going to leave you discontented. When we make wealth a driving motive in life, it leads to discontent. I've said this before, and I know there might be some in here who think that's nuts. I'm never going to know if that's really true. But I can tell you, if you pay attention to people who are really wealthy, they're not content with their wealth. They're always seeking to accumulate more. And some of them are the most miserable people you can imagine. I was reading an article about Anthony Bourdain, who was a uh, travel uh, and food critic. And a lot of people have envied his life that he was able to lead the the career he had. He really kind of did whatever he wanted and went wherever he wanted and really didn't have to show an attitude that he really cared. And he, he got to enjoy delicious food and all the travel, and he got paid really well for it. But you know how Anthony Bourdain's, uh, how Anthony Bourdain felt about all of that? In the in, in the in the article I read, it said that he hated himself, and by the time he realized why he hated the life that he had, he was too tired to turn his life around, and he just killed himself. This is a guy who thought he you would have thought had everything together. He gets to travel the world. He's gone to uh, uh, you know dozens of nations. He's eaten the finest food in these places. He's gone to the coolest uh, 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 greasy spoons and tried the, the greatest treats you can imagine. And he's had fame and fortune, yet he found himself one day hating his life and so entrenched in it that his only way out, he thought, was to take his own life. The pursuit of the stuff of this world will leave you discontent. Again, verse 10 and 11. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance be satisfied with increase. Verse 11, when goods increase... They are increased that eat them. They're going to want more and more. It leads, it's vanity. It's going to lead to discontent. It's also going to lead you to restlessness. Look at verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. 
but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Listen, all that wealth is not going to make you sleep better. Whether it's his gluttony or worries about building, expanding, and keeping his empire, the one who makes riches a focus of life loses sleep. Not good. Verse 17. All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Unhappy, restless people. It's a pretty dark picture here in verse 17. Sometimes it even leads to feeling helpless, and I think this is what that man Anthony Bourdain had. Verse 13 and 14, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there's nothing in his hand. It's easy to, to, to remember Jesus' illustration of the, uh, of the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the wise man who built his house upon the rock in Matthew chapter 7. Both faced storms in life, but only he who built his life on truth stood firm. The author of this book, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, is warning everyone who reads this, and that means all of you here and me too, if you built a life on the sand of stuff, don't be surprised when it collapses and you're left with nothing and you're helpless. We, how many have said that money solves all of life's problems? How many have ever thought, man, if I just won the lottery, that would solve everything? Let me tell you, that is the biggest crock of foolishness. Um, more money, more problems. That's more true. We live in a culture that's built to follow the rat race, full of advertisements claiming products will improve your life, give meaning, bring fulfillment, give you satisfaction. None of it is true. None of it is true. So if we're not to focus on the gimmies, how about we focus on God's blessings? It's our second point. Read with me verse 18. Let's focus on God's blessings. Verse 18. Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink, and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh unto the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. heart. So all of a sudden God shows up and he is nowhere to be found in that first section of the passage uh, talking about those who are constantly seeking increase in wealth and gimmies and, and stuff and toys and cars and properties and vacations and all of those things that we think are going to give us happiness. He's not present in there, but now here God is mentioned four times in just three verses. And uh, and it, those first few verses, the teacher is teaching us not what not to focus on. And he's describing that focus as everything that is under the sun, all the stuff. And then, then God shows up, and that which is above the sun shows up, and we see God now present, and he calls for us to focus not on stuff, but on station, because after all, where we are in life, whatever that looks like, is from God. 
whatever situation, whatever circumstances you're in, that's from God. God has provided that. Uh, that doesn't mean your work had no uh, influence on that. It doesn't mean that your bad decisions didn't have any influence on that. But it certainly means that God can use you exactly where you are and bless you exactly where you are. I remember when I was a, a older teenager, when I uh, was looking towards graduating high school, and uh, I was, boy, I was kind of a rudderless ship in a lot of ways. And uh, looking back, I hope that I have better wisdom to share with my children uh, about that time of their life. But I remember going to uh, Brother Tom Bragdon, who was a good good influence and encouragement to me when I was a young man, and asking him uh, what he thought about where I should go to college. And he gave me, I think, a very wise bit of advice. He said, Darren, God's will is not like throwing darts and you have to laser focus and hit the bullseye every single time and make that the perfect choice every single time. God's will is for you to do what, what, he, what he blesses and then let him use you wherever you are. You understand what I'm saying? Wherever God has put you in your life or wherever you have gone in your life, if, if, if you allow God to be present in that situation, he will use you, he will bless you, and he will help you grow into the one he wants you to become. God is at work. And so we need to focus on God's blessings, the station he's given us. It, if we do that, we'll... We will have a reason to celebrate. We see that in verses 18 and 19. Uh, talks about him celebrating. Uh, it says, and at the very end of verse 19, it says, and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. It, it, it'll bring joy and a reason to celebrate. When we, when we live lives focused on what we've been given rather than what we must try to get, <laughs> true enjoyment of those things is experienced. The focus is on our, on our station, on our circumstances, and being blessed by those and trusting God with our circumstances brings a reason to celebrate. It also gives us a reason to be thankful. Now look at verse 18 and 19 again. Which God giveth him, for it is his portion. This is the, verse 19, this is the gift of God. So when we shift our focus from what we can get to what God has given us, there's less confusion over who should be appreciated. You know, when we're so focused on getting ours and, and building our empire or building, uh, adding to our own comforts, guess who we're pretty proud of whenever we get those things? Uh, number one, right? Yours truly, yourself. But when we just focus on how God has blessed us, boy, do we have, that is such a sweeter life to be blessed by what God and to be thankful. Man, an attitude of gratitude is a beautiful thing. And too often forsaken. Also, I see in verse 20, it brings satisfaction. Hey, listen, if, if that, uh, uh, that seeking uh, stuff and money, the gimmies, makes, is, is vain and discon leads to discontentedness and restlessness and possibly hopelessness, uh, I like the idea of being satisfied. But the only place you find it is in God. Verse 20, For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. So the brevity of life doesn't matter to someone who's focused on the beauty of the gift because they're too busy enjoying it. Man, don't get so caught up in the stuff you think you want and need when you could just enjoy what God has blessed you with now. That is satisfaction money can't buy. It's good. 
Life under the sun focuses on stuff, that vaporous stuff, discontentedness, restlessness, vanity, helplessness. Teacher, this teacher of Ecclesiastes provides a better option. Life above the sun. Life focused on the circumstances God has placed you in and how he's blessed you already. Our God-given lot in life. And I, I love the book of Colossians. And so I have some just probably about 10 passages here from the book of Colossians just to give you a little taste if you're in Christ and if you've trusted him, a taste of what God's blessings are for believers. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We're inhabitants of an eternal kingdom of light. Or verse 14 in Colossians 1, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We stand before God redeemed and forgiven. Colossians 1.22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Man, when we're reconciled to a holy God in Christ, we stand before God without, uh, without need of rebuke. We're beyond reproach. We are blameless because of Christ. Colossians 2.10, and you are complete in him. Oh man, that's good. If you ever feel like you don't have it all together, just turn to Colossians 2.10. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now we're buried, that old sin man is buried and will be raised up new in Christ. Colossians 2.14. These are your circumstances if you trusted Christ. Blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us. It was against you and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Amen. Colossians 2.19. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands of nourished ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. So now we're freed from the penalty of death and we've been put into a family where Christ is the head and together we grow together. Supported. We're part of this wonderful, beautiful body of the church. Colossians 3.3, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. You're secure. Hey, if you feel like your life is insecure, wrong again. Uh, God has got you. You're secure in Christ. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, beholy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, and meekness, uh, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long suffering. We're beloved by God, and all these things are given to us through him. Colossians 4.3, with all praying for us also, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. You know, part of your circumstances is you have a new and glorious meaning to your life, and that is to share the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. So how can we focus on the stuff when we've got all of God's blessings vying for our attention? I think it would be useful for us to kind of clean up that room a little bit, and get rid of the 
life fatigue and all the distractions. Hey, log out of Facebook for a while. Uh, decide to skip that you know, YouTube channel that you like to watch for a while. Uh, why don't you just wait to finish that TV show series for a few weeks and get focused on the beauty of the life God has given you. Is it always going to be good and perfect? No, but those dark circumstances gives us opportunity for wonderful joy and peace and deeper faith. Uh, this morning when uh, Brandon Rios called me to tell me uh, with a little giggle on his lips that his baby girl pulled out of that, pre- uh, out of that um, surgery with no issues and, and the surgery was so easy uh, that they didn't have to remove any part of this little baby's colon, and they just able to put it back the right way so everything would flow correctly. And it just, you could hear the relief. Last night, I was up to over uh, past one o'clock talking to Brandon and, and encouraging and praying for him. And, and, and boy, was that hard and dark, and he was scared. And I don't blame him. I've been there. I've got three beautiful boys, and we've been in the hospital with them before. That's not fun. But God showed up. You know, if God had showed up and decided that it was Viv's time to go home, God still would bless them. God would still be good. And God would still, if, if they would submit to God's will, God would still allow their faith to grow, and their testimony to continue to be used for God's glory. Listen, the circumstances of your life doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. But... Uh, but focusing on the life that God has given you will give you joy and a reason to celebrate peace and uh, purpose. So we need to stop focusing on the gimmies, on stuff. We need to focus on God's blessings. And last, I'll just say, we need to focus on being faithful to God. Uh, You and I are called to be focused on being faithful. You know, unlike the Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa does not prompt you to respond in some way uh, unless to give more to that museum so they can keep the lights on and stuff like that. But that's, there's not a lot of value that's very temporal. Listen, the life that God has given you and the salvation you have through Jesus Christ prompts us to respond to a life uh, with a life of faithfulness to God. We should live a life faithful to Him. We should set our minds and our energies on what God has called us to to do and let the results take care of themselves. We need to focus on God's blessings and focus on being faithful. God tells us uh, through His Word that ultimately we have three primary tasks. One we've done today. I hope you've done it in true, in the in the truth of your heart, and that is to worship Him. I hope your worship today has not been indifferent like the way of Cain. I hope your worship has been uh, from your heart. And acceptable to God. But not only that, we are also called to build up other believers, to spend time with one another, to encourage one another, to do what God gave me opportunity to do last night and to pray for those who are struggling and to encourage them and to give them the best advice that I could give and, and, and give them encouragement from God's word and pray with them. We're to walk through people's difficult circumstances with them and praise God we're a church that does that. But listen, you, we need to do that all the time. We need to be seeking opportunities to do that. And whenever God opens that door, we need to jump on it and, 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 and build up other believers, love them. 
We need to church them, like Brother Travis would say. We need to church them. That means love them, not kick them out. And then the third thing, you know what it is, is to share the gospel. These are glorious tasks that God has given us. So, this week, as you consider your attitude towards God and that attitude of worship, if it's an attitude of indifference and and uh, unteachability or unrepentance, and uh, try to get that right with God. And uh, if you if you go to God, you'll get it right. He'll help you with that. Okay. But as you do that, pray on how you can focus on being faithful to Him. And as I said, it might mean eliminating some real distractions in your life. They're abundant, aren't they? My goodness, we. Uh, the, the, the devil has put together quite the machine for us to enjoy to keep us completely distracted from what we're to be about as Christians. Don't let that dupe you. Don't let that keep you. Don't let that keep you from enjoying God's blessings and having reasons to rejoice and celebrate and feel the peace of God. Don't, don't let the rat race consume you and steal your, uh, your satisfaction and steal your peace. Uh, don't let it leave you helpless. Remember, that our circumstances are designed by God, and let's focus on being faithful to Him. Father, I thank You so much for this day. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the book of Ecclesiastes and the wisdom it shared, uh, that's shared for us therein. And God, I just pray that uh, uh, this sermon and the morning sermon will complement one another and help us to jumpstart our focus on following You in all ways. Lord, help us to help us to expose our hearts to You and allow You to. Uh, expose any indifference that's in our hearts, any any unrepentance, any unteachableness in our hearts. Lord, help us uh, um, as set in our ways as we might find ourselves sometimes. Lord, help us to be ready to change and ready to be molded and used by you. Lord, ultimately, it's our job to be tools in your hand. Lord, help us to be good tools. Help us to be sharpened by your word. Help us to be uh, submitted to your will. Lord, help us to be used by you. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for those that made it tonight, uh, this afternoon. I pray you keep them safe as they travel home. Lord, help us have a good night on Wednesday. In Christ's name I pray, amen.